Welcome to Catch the Fire Toronto's weekly sermon podcast. This message was recorded live at Catch the Fire Church in Toronto, Canada. We hope you enjoy it. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, please open them to Matthew 5. Um, We've just had the finals of the Olympics. Anyone been watching? Yeah, a few of you. Not as many as I thought, but cool. Okay, okay. I'm not an avid sports guy, but there's one sport that really grabs my attention. Uh, That is the sport that uh, gives the label of the world's fastest man, and that would be the 100-meter sprint. If there's one event that determines who's the fastest dude on the planet, it's the 100 meters men's final. Uh, And this year, despite uh, a Canadian coming third, it was rather a just a bit of a letdown. And the reason why it was so anticlimactic was because of who has retired. Anyone know who retired at the last Olympics? Usain Bolt. Yes, all the Jamaicans know who I'm talking about. Uh, Usain Bolt won gold for three Olympics straight. Uh, He holds the world record, the top three times, actually. Uh, Nine seconds, 9.58 seconds. This dude was like running perfection. So when it got to this year, everyone realizes we're back to the slower people now. You know, when he was running, breaking world records, every running coach around the world was looking, how do we emulate this man? How do we emulate this man? In high school, I was terrible at running, uh, and I ran the 100 meters in just over 19 seconds. Uh, Thank you, thank you, Uh, which is the time it takes Usain Bolt to run 200 meters. Yes, it's a bit embarrassing. I was never going to be a Usain Bolt, uh, but thankfully for me, we are not here to emulate runners this morning. As followers of Jesus, as disciples, our primary goals are to love the Lord and to follow him. There is a man who I am drawn to emulate. He is the gold standard, not just in a sport, but on how to be a human perfected in love. And I am compelled to be crafted into his likeness. And that man is Jesus. So Matthew 5, let's go uh, from verse 43. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I'm going to pray because I find this passage difficult and we're going to tread it with care. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just breathe life on our thinking this morning on your word. Would you come and just illuminate your truth to us? Give us grace to see past 2,000 years and to know exactly what you're talking about. 
Jesus, we want to follow you with our whole hearts. So come and speak to us this morning. Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, if we skip back a little bit in Matthew 4, Jesus begins his public ministry and he is uh, declaring to Israel that he is Israel's new king. He is proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near. And he's giving his disciples an understanding of the culture of that kingdom. If you read through the Sermon of the Mount, it's full of outrageous behaviors that Jesus is calling his disciples to. Not outrageous in a scandalous way, outrageous because they are so selfless. They are so filled with love that they seem impossible for any normal person to fulfill. Anyone with me? Good. A few of you are honest people. The rest of you need to work on that. I'm kidding. He's showing the new way to be human. It's, it's radical, and it's a new way that is built on righteousness and love. In the time of Jesus, Jewish rabbis would be teaching their disciples what it meant to follow God and how to perform outwardly actions that would please God how to behave in a way that would please God. Yet with Jesus, no longer is it the case that it's okay just to focus on the outward actions, but rather Jesus is interested even before the action happens on the posture of their hearts. And adding to what has been already an extremely challenging sermon, Jesus inserts this phrase, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We have to pause at this verse. We have to pause because it's way too easy for us to brush over it without fully feeling the weight of these words. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We're followers of Jesus, which means that anytime Jesus speaks to his disciples in the Gospels, he's speaking to us too. Any disciples of Jesus in the room today? Excellent. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. As I read this, the questions come thick and fast. Jesus, are you being serious? Uh, Does this apply to me? What is this standard of perfection to which I'm being called? Uh, When do I have to accomplish this by? Isn't this something I just uh, get transformed into when I'm in heaven? I don't know about you, but I find this very challenging, this verse. Anyone with me? Is anyone with me? Yes, it is challenging. It's okay. It's good practice for us, church, when we hear a difficult passage like this, not to try and just interpret in a way that is most comfortable to us. I'm guilty of this all the time. Well, this is a challenging verse. How can I make this the easiest translation? We have to try and unsee through our cultural lenses and understand what Jesus is actually trying to say. So let's dig into it. Do you know that In the Bible, every biblical author is extremely aware of everything that has been written in front of them. Every biblical author is extremely aware of everything that's been written in front of them. They're aware of all the religious texts. 
the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible quotes and echoes itself over and over again. And in the writings of the New Testament, including the words of Jesus, that's, there's no exception. It keeps referring back to what has gone before. And as Jesus makes this statement to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, he is certainly very consciously uh, referencing a passage which is very close in Leviticus 19.2, which says where God, Yahweh, is saying over Israel, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And as the nation of Israel was set apart unto holiness to reveal a God of love, justice, power, and mercy to the world, so through us, who have been included as Gentiles into the children of God. We too are set apart people. And as Jesus is sharing this very radical identity of what his disciples will look like on the Sermon on the Mount, he tops it off with this description that we can't afford to skip over. We just can't skip this. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This word perfect, brought to its end, finished, wanting nothing necessary to completeness, full grown, of full age, matured, perfect. Jesus isn't saying be mature in the sense that a 25-year-old is more mature than a 16-year-old or even that a 65-year-old is more mature than a 16-year-old. This is full completion, the finished product. And in praying about today's message, I felt the invitation of the Father to remind us that we have the highest of callings. As followers of Christ, you have the highest of callings. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have the highest of callings. And that is to image, to literally image the Father to the world, to daily be modeled into the likeness of God. Today, I hope that those of us that are struggling with a lack of engagement in the transformation process, whether it's through pride or through apathy, that the Holy Spirit would light a fire in us. And today I pray that those of us who feel helpless or hopeless would be empowered by this glorious plan the Father has for forming us into his likeness. Many of us will have had powerful conversion stories where following Jesus meant a radical change in our behaviors, obvious rejections of worldly morality, forgoing sexual immorality, drunkenness, changing our language. For many of us, that will have been the case. And as the path of discipleship continues, the transformation continues, where there were obvious external behaviors that we had to reject, God asked us to start to be transformed internally and, and new behaviors of selflessness and charity and hospitality towards others start to emerge. What I have noticed and what I find a challenge sometimes is that we, as we walk this faith journey, the, the, 
the quickness of the transformation starts to slow. It may seem to slow. External behaviors may have been conformed into looking more like Christ. And it's at this point in our spiritual journey that I want to confront today, where we may feel like we're doing pretty good. The question is, is there further for this relationship to take us? Is there further? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The journey does continue. The disciple is invited into perfection, into fullness, into unity, into maturity. In this place, internal structures of trust are developed. Unity with the Father becomes the one desire. This is a place of maturity where we begin to incarnate the love of God to those around us. I have to stress at this point that this transformation journey does not happen by human effort alone. Thank the Lord. This is not a message about works, okay? This transformation does not happen by human effort alone, nor does it happen with a lack of participation. I'm asking some maturity today to hold something in tension. Now, we will be fully matured and made perfect when we see him. There is no record in the Bible, nor in church history, of a person manifesting perfect maturity, apart from maybe Mary Audrey. Now, other than Jesus himself, there's no record. There's no record. 1 John 3, 2 says, We know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. So a temptation lies before all of us, whether after a season of deep transformation in our youth, in the youth of our faith, whether we ease up, do we ease up, do we resign ourselves to some of the deeply rooted internal ways of thinking and reacting and just wait until the fullness of time and us passing unto death is the catalyst for us being perfected in him. That is a temptation that lies in front of all of us. I want to address that and say the idea of waiting for heaven is a, a Gnostic worldview that reads the Bible and concludes that the real transformation happens when we die and are rid of these ugh, fleshly bodies. That is a Gnostic worldview. That is not the worldview of the writers of the New Testament. While there is an amazing, true, and deep measure of fulfillment that is promised to us at death, physical death, the New Testament worldview lent far more into the idea that new life, new creation happens at the point of conversion and baptism. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. New or mostly new. 30% new 
and 70% waiting until death? No, a new creation. And so we have to take seriously this invitation that Jesus offers to come and be remade daily into his likeness, to enter into maturity. We live in this world, but we're not to be of it. And so uh, I'm, I'm passionate that we watch cultural messages around us and we guard the gates of our thinking into the acceptance of cultural ideas. There is a strong cultural narrative that says that we all have intrinsic merit and worth. This is true. Humanity is made in the image of God. We carry intrinsic value. At the same time, the cultural message of this age will tell you that you are justified as a person, that we are all worthy, worth it, and good enough. No one can tell us otherwise. But when I read the Bible, I read that we are both filled with the intrinsic value of being made in the image of God, but also desperate in need of an external source to make us righteous and justify us. We carry both an intrinsic value being made in the image of God, but also are in a fundamental need of an external source to justify us. The only way in which mankind becomes fully human as God designed is to be in relationship with him, restored and made righteous by him. To recognize that we are not complete and self-sufficient in our own rights, you know what that requires in abundance? Real humility, real humility. Holding these two ideas in tension requires maturity. But we need to understand with clarity the word of God that says that we do carry an intrinsic value being made in his image, but that we are also in desperate need of him and not complete without him. You cannot make it on your own. You cannot in your own strength, stand before Yahweh, the creator God of the universe, and justify yourself. On your own, church, you are not enough. And you know, even as I confess that, which feels like it could be leaning on the side of we're not worthy, we are all worms and we should all be spat upon and crushed to the floor. I don't feel that at all. Even as I confess that I am not enough, I'm so aware that he has given everything. <sighs> and that the weight of his affection is on me and that I am chosen, called, I am redeemed and rescued and restored because of great love. This is empowering. But church, if we feel cultural permission to coast in our growth that we are good enough, then we need a rethink. In the eyes of the Father, we are enough for him to love us, just as we are. John Arnott says this, but he will never leave us the way we are. Because his will, his will that we must submit to, his will is to conform us to his likeness. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. There is a centuries-old attitude in Christianity to daily walk in repentance. 
with a healthy dose of fear and trembling, with reverence, that I stand and walk before a holy God, that I think we risk losing in today's culture. I think we risk losing it even in the church. When outside sins of cruel behavior or violence or greedy actions are dealt with, the internal sins of wrong thinking or impure responses can easily feel like they're of lesser importance. And you know what? It's, it's okay. I've dealt with the big stuff. I'm okay. But there's a journey we're on as followers of Jesus. It's one where we are daily being convicted of both wrongdoing and wrong thinking. It's not being condemned by a persecutory voice or racked by a defiling kind of shame. Conviction is the pure, clean, empowering voice of the Holy Spirit that all at once makes you feel honored and glad that he would want to be close to you and bring you more into his likeness. And on the other hand, gives you the empowering to repent from wrong thinking and wrongdoing and move towards him. This is sanctification. This is the work of perfection. However unlikely it may seem, church. <laughs> and yesterday evening, I've been thinking about this morning and certain small people in my household were behaving in ways that caused me to feel keenly my lack of perfection in him. <laughs> and yeah, I just had to remind myself I'm being brought into his likeness, that this is his goal, that he wants to mature me into perfection, free from sin and made complete in love. I can barely wrap my head around this because I feel like it's too lofty a goal for myself. Scripture says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Well, you and I can sit here and say, God, who are we that you would want to craft us into your likeness? There for a minute with me, church, to think of yourself free from sin, from wrong ways of thinking, free from all greed and selfishness, free from all fear of man, free from those wrong reactions, perfected in love. Church, dream with me of a place where we walk around literally incarnating the love of God to those around us so that when they're with us, they feel Oh, I'm in the presence of God. As usual, my hero, C.S. Lewis, can put it into a more beautiful and concise way than me. He says this. Make no mistake, Jesus says, if you let me, I will make you perfect. The moment you put yourself into my hands, that's what you're in for. Nothing less or other than that. You will have free will, and if you choose, you can push me away. But if you do not push me away, understand that I'm going to see this job through. 
whatever suffering it may cost you in your earthly life, whatever inconceivable purification it may cost you after death, whatever it costs me, I will never rest, nor let you rest until you are literally perfect. Until my father can say without reservation that he is well pleased with you, as he said, he is well pleased with me. This I can do and will do, but I will not do anything less. He continues, the practical upshot is this. On the one hand, God's demand for perfection need not discourage us in the least in our present attempts to be good or even in our present failures. Each time you fall, he will pick you up again. And he knows perfectly well that your own efforts are never going to bring you anywhere near perfection. On the other hand, you must realize from the outset that the goal towards which he is beginning to guide you is absolute perfection. And no power in the whole universe except you yourself can prevent him from taking you to that goal. That is what you are in for. And it's very important to realize that if we do not we are likely to start pulling back, resisting him after a certain point. I think that many of us, when Christ has enabled us to overcome one or two sins that were an obvious nuisance, are inclined to feel, though we don't put it into words, that we are now good enough. He has done all he wanted to do, and we should be obliged if he should now leave us alone. We say, I never expected to be a saint. I only wanted to be a decent, ordinary chap. And we imagine when we say this, we are being humble, but this is a fatal mistake. Of course, <laughs> of course, we never wanted and never asked to be made into the sort of creatures he's going to make us into. But the question is not what we intend ourselves to be, but what he intended us to be when he made us. Yeah, it's worth it. <laughs> Church, we have the highest of callings. The highest of callings. I'm going to pray, but I, before I pray, I want to offer some words of comfort and of caution. Firstly, for those of you who struggle with your internal, you can close your eyes. Start engaging with the Holy Spirit in this moment. Firstly, for those of you who struggle with powerlessness in your internal dialogues, if you're prone to the kind of shame that tells you you're never good enough, that you'll never measure up, this message may have the potential to make you feel smaller. I pray it doesn't. For those of us that struggle with fear that we must somehow live lives good enough to earn God's favor, I want to speak over you that you are the beloved of the Father. before the foundations of the earth, the lamb was slain, that God had a plan that involved loving his creation to the point of his self-sacrificial love. I want to bless you today if you struggle with fear and the insecurity of not being good enough, that you would feel the Holy Spirit warmly bringing you by invitation into this journey of sanctification. I pray that small-minded thinking, stubbornness, and fear would be eradicated in Jesus' name. Secondly, I want to just bless those of us who are prone towards harsh judgment and high standards. Those of us who hold ourselves and others to the highest of standards but struggle to give grace. 
for any of us that struggle with that, I want to highlight that our God is a huge fan of process. <laughs> that he is patient for his children, for the process that they go on. And I bless us to have patience with ourselves and with others. And lastly, I want to bless us today to understand that the goal of which I've been talking for the last while is not perfection. It's to become like him. Father, any place where we try to work ourselves into measuring up to a standard, I ask that you would rewire our thinking and that we would be drawn towards you, the person of you. That as we see your beauty, as we see your awesome power, your majesty, as we stand in awe of your holiness, that we would feel empowered to come and submit ourselves to you because we want to be like you. Father, my goal is not perfection. My goal is to be like you, which happens to be perfection. I had a sense this morning that just a bunch of us will be feeling this morning just this realization, I've been coasting. I've been coasting. That I don't feel that tug on my heart, on my will, on my emotions to be transformed into his likeness, to submit to that journey. I want to bless you today. Church, if you want to respond today and you want to just say again, Father, I am ready to be crafted into your likeness. I'm going to invite us just to get on our knees. If that's, if that's you, you just want to pray that today. Feel free to join me. If you're not ready for that, that's fine. God, we dare we dare to take you at your word that your heart's desire is to craft us into your likeness. God, we don't deserve it. It's nothing that we earned of our own right, and yet it's your good pleasure. It's your good pleasure, and we submit to it. God, we submit to it. Your good pleasure. There's a song we sing uh, in church here, and we sing, it's by your will and for your pleasure I exist. <laughs> Father, it's for your pleasure we're here to come and shape us. Come and shape us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
We hope you encounter God and were inspired by this message today. To watch video of this message and other messages from Catch the Fire in Toronto, visit catchthefire.tv. Catch the Fire has churches, schools, events, missions and media all around the world. To find out more, visit catchthefire.com.